We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tuesday NBA Playoff Edition of the Rotowire NBA Podcast. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex will still be talking fantasy hoops, still be talking gambling, still be talking NBA uh, through the conclusion of the NBA Finals in early June. Uh, obviously, the fantasy season is now over, so uh, might be a slightly different show uh, than we've been doing the last few months, but we'll still have a couple episodes per week uh, for the next five or six weeks here. And uh, we'll get right into it. We have a lot of action, of course, going on as we move through round one of the NBA playoffs. We got Hawks, Celtics, Knicks, Cavs, and Clippers, Suns. Those are all game twos happening tonight. Uh, last night, we saw the 76ers go up 2-0 on the Brooklyn Nets. That has not really been a competitive series thus far. Uh, Kings go up 2-0 on the Warriors. That has been a competitive series. We'll get into that uh, in a little bit. But I want to talk about the Defensive Player of the Year, uh, which officially was handed out yesterday to Jared Jackson of the Memphis Grizzlies. We, you and I got this news when we were uh, mid-show uh, on Sirius XM last night. I, I'm not surprised that Jaron Jackson won the award. He closed as the favorite. He's been among the favorites all season. He's got the numbers. Uh, it, it ended up being relatively close between Jackson and Brooke Lopez, 391 total points to 309 for Lopez. Uh, then you get to Evan Mobley at 101. But it, it felt to me like Mobley was really picking up steam at the end of the year. So I kind of thought it might be a closer three-man race between those three guys. Yeah, Mobley Mobley picked up some steam, I think, from what a handful of like very prominent podcasters, I would say. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's that's where I got my news. Yes, exactly. Um, but I still think you know the general, like most of the most of the NBA voting body are not those people, and so I think Jaron Jackson, despite the missed games. Um, to me, I mean, he was the guy I would have voted. I think he's, he's, you know, him and Mobley are definitely more versatile than Lopez. I think that's why Mobley picked up some steam because the Cavs have a great defense. Mobley can protect the rim and guard out on the perimeter, unlike someone 
like Lopez, who just sticks back at the rim. I think he kind of gets um, – he's great at that, but I would just rather vote uh, for somebody who can do – can be more versatile. And I think mm-hmm. Mobley winning over Jaron Jackson, it would feel like to me like jumping the line a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I have no problem at all uh, with Jared Jackson winning this award. I think if you were if you were anti-Jackson or you were pro-Lopez or pro-Mobley, I think the game's played argument was kind of the number one thing. And right. that says a lot, right? Like if you can't, if you can't po- poke any holes in him statistically, you know, great team. There's no real debate there. Um, if you're just going to the game's played argument. And, and honestly, for me, 63, it's, it's right on the borderline. I mean, if you played 63 next year, it wouldn't be enough to qualify technically. Uh, but I, I think in this specific season, when so many guys were missing games, uh, 63, you know, 19 absences to me, like that's, it's not that big of a deal. You know, I think the, the average star will say probably played what 66 games. Oh yeah, probably. And I mean, yeah. most of those absences were front loaded. Like he, he, he debuted in, on November 15th. Um, right. Cause I think he had a foot injury. So it's like, he basically was healthy for the last, you know, 80% of the season. Yeah, he only truly missed five games after he came back, after after missing time to begin the year. And a couple of those were back-to-back situations. One of them was like two games after he came back, and then he sat out game 82, which was meaningless. So he was basically in there every single night uh, when available. Um, so I, I don't hold that against him at all. A hell of a season for Brooke Lopez, though. I, I mean, I think this is, in a lot of years, Brooke Lopez probably would have won this award pretty handily. Uh, you know, just kind of speaks to how strong the field is right now, but... Uh, Lopez, like especially the last couple months of the season, you know, when Giannis was in and out, felt like he really made a charge. Yeah. I mean, he, I, I mean, I thought he had a great like revival season on offense as well. 16 points a game, um, was better rebounding. I thought, I thought the Bucks got him more involved, but yeah, defensively, of course, I mean, last year he only plays 13 games. Um, I think all of those, but one were after back surgery and, um, he just, he looked a lot more like himself. Um, I, I assume all that rehab helped. It's a bit, I mean, you never know when a guy is, what is he, 35? Mm-hmm. And he's seven feet tall, basically 300 pounds, goes under back surgery. It's like, that can, that almost feels like 50-50, but he had a really strong year. Had Lopez won, I believe he would have been the oldest defensive player of the year ever. I'm looking at the list right now, and Dikembe Mutombo won it in his age 34 season. Uh, I'll, I'll have to check the math and, and see exactly how old he was at the time. But uh, at, at the very least, Lopez would have been the second oldest player to win the award. Um, you have to go all the way back to 2007, 2008, the last time somebody over 29 years old took home this award. So it, it has skewed toward younger players of late. Uh, Draymond Green received a handful of first place votes. Bam Adebayo got one first place vote. Joel Embiid got one first place vote. Uh, no second place votes for Embiid and only two third place votes. So he was not really in this mix. Uh, Giannis, a little bit further down the list as well. OG Ananobi got a couple second-place votes. Same with Drew Holiday. Uh, Nick Claxton, Alex Caruso, Jimmy Butler, the only other players to receive first, second, or third-place votes. I think, I mean, I think most of the names on that list make sense. I wouldn't have voted them. I, w- I wouldn't have voted them in my top three, although I thought, I mean, I thought Embiid had a, has always, I mean, Embiid has a case every year, right? He's just, he's that good. Um and Drew Holiday kind of has a fringe case every year, but I think I think the way it shook out is um, is definitely fine. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little surprised that Giannis uh, didn't rack up more votes. I think just because that was such a big part of his MVP candidacy, wouldn't have been shocked if, if he grabbed a couple first team votes. But um, you know, it, three Milwaukee Bucks uh, ended up being in what like the top seven or eight here 
uh, which makes a lot of sense. Like, Drew Holiday to me is like the he's like the indie defensive player of the year. You know, I, I feel like he should have like four or five of these. But one, guards don't win it, with the exception of last year. Um, and and two, there's just so many quality big men right now that I, I think that award is going to continue to elude him. It felt like last year would have been the year. Like he is he's a better straight up defender than Marcus Smart. But I, I don't know. Maybe we need to cut this off here, but before this gets ugly. Yeah, that's fine. All right, let's get to let's get to last night's games first. Um, I I don't have a ton to say about next net Sixers. I mean, the, the Nets have been able to keep both of these games competitive for the first half uh, thus far. They then put up 14 points in the third quarter last night in a game uh, that they finished with 84 total points. They go 13 to 42 from beyond the arc. They shot 37 and a half percent as a team. Uh, you know, Philly shot it at 31 percent from deep, 45 percent from the field. So it was, it was not a great night for the 76ers by any means so, you know, outside of Tyrese Maxey, who had 33 and six, three pointers. It was a, a really down game for James Harden. Uh, Joel Embiid, you know, only took 11 shots in 37 minutes, but this has just been a, a really one-sided series so far. It has. I, I actually thought doc river, doc rivers did something kind of weird in this game. I, he was like trying to stop bridges from getting to that mid range jumper by bringing help off the corner. And then Cam Johnson got a bunch of wide open threes and scored 28 points. And I'm like, why are you, you dominated the first game. Why are you trying to stop Bridges from shooting these shots that basically like it, it completely worked the first game. I, I thought that was bizarre. Um, but yeah, they continue to double and beat. He kicks out. Um, Tobias Harris has looked really good. Maxi has strong night. You were, you were on that during the XM show. He finished with 33 points. I think the, I think the over under on his points and rebounds was like 22. And that was something too. I, we had in that. Well, he only took eight shots in game one. It was like, this is not happening again. It was a lazy game for him. And that's something I've been critical of the 76ers. They just kind of stand around and they they don't cut to the basket. But Maxie's that guy who he can sort of cut to the basket when Embiid draws doubles and, and force pressure on the rim. Because um, Harden's not going to cut. And Tobias Harris is not usually going to cut. And obviously, P.J. Tucker isn't. So, really strong game for him. And I think he can probably continue to repeat it going forward because... Unless the Nets, I mean, the Nets at this point have to do something drastic on defense. I don't even know what that is. Like, I, I don't know. I, you can only do so much. Like you said, I mean, they're, they're kind of swarming MB. They're forcing him to pass out. He's happy to do that. Uh, I mean, and he committed eight turnovers in this game. Like he, he was a little bit sloppy and the Sixers didn't shoot it well. And it just, it just doesn't really matter. You know, I think if you told the Nets, Hey, Embiid's going to turn it over eight times. He's going to take 11 shots. James Harden's going to be three of 13. Uh, you know, PJ Tucker, who, hit a couple of threes in game one's not going to give you anything. Um, you know, I, th- I think you'd say, all right, we, we could probably compete in this game, especially if you tell me that we're getting 28 points out of camp Johnson, but yeah, it's been impressive by the Sixers. Um, you know, I, th- I thought they played a more complete game in game one. Uh, this one was a little bit uglier, but this has just not been a remotely competitive series uh, for, for at least what 60% of the minutes. Um, and, you know, Nick Claxton has really not been able to do anything against that beat. He was held scoreless in 21 minutes was not great in game one either. Uh, and this is the Nets team that beyond Claxton has zero options in terms of big men. He, I think the only, the only actual option on the, on the team is Dayron Sharp, who he didn't play. I, I think on most nights they don't want to be in the rotation. No, and he didn't play in game two. Um, I, you know, I thought Claxton was going to be, I mean, I, I, I do not think Claxton could stop and beat and be just bullies him and pushes him out of the way and dunks on him. But the way you beat this Philly team is through transition because they don't like to run and B doesn't like to run. Hargan doesn't like to run. And I think on offense, like I get that you want Claxton out there because he's your only chance at stopping Embiid. 
But if you're going to double and beat anyway, honestly, I I wouldn't be surprised if in game three they go small. I, I'm not saying they won't start Claxton, but I could see them playing more O'Neal and more Dorian Finney-Smith and just trying to space out as much as possible and just yeah. try to bomb threes. Because, again, if you're going to double and beat anyway, you can double him with two guys who are six foot seven. He's not going to run through mm-hmm. both of them, I don't think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you you almost have to go into the classic like let Embiid get his. You know, like yeah. we're we're trying to we're trying to defend him in a more traditional style. It's not working. Um, you know, you can only go so small. Uh, of course, on a player like Embiid, and um, you know, I think Claxton just kind of has to be out there to some degree. But I think you're right. I, I think they need to basically look at this and say like we have no way to beat this team unless we get really hot from three, and maybe that means more minutes for for Joe Harris, who used to be a good shooter. Uh, maybe that means more minutes for for Seth Curry, who's you know still kind of doing what he does off the bench. But uh, you know, I think you also have to remember that this Nets team, post Kevin Durant, post Kyrie Irving, you know, there's not really any expectations here. It's like they they played well enough with those guys that they they kind of just backed their way into the six seed and avoided the play in tournament. But you know, realistically, this team is is no better uh, than the Atlanta Hawks, or probably no better than than the teams that were in the play in tournament. You know, are, are they head and shoulders above the Chicago Bulls? I, I don't really think so. No, I don't think so. And the I again, they're not going to win straight up on talent here. So and it's it's a huge talent disparity. So the only thing they could do is like junk defenses and gimmick offenses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's that's about all they have left at, at this point. Because because you mentioned it, like this is a this was a, a pretty bad game for the Sixers, other than the fact that Maxi saved them. Like Harden and Embiid combined for twenty eight points and thirteen turnovers. Yeah, um, Harden was and, bad. Yeah, and Harden was great in Game One. By the way, I don't, I'm not not trying to pile on him, but it was this was not no, a fantastic no. effort uh, by Harden in, in Game Two. Uh, the Sixers at this point are minus four thousand to win the series. <laughs> uh, that is that is a large number, and rightfully so. The expected outcome at this point, um, trying to pull this up, would be Sixers in four. Sixers in four. That is uh, the series to end in exactly four games is plus one twenty, and obviously the Sixers are the only team that could do that. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe Brooklyn could steal one. I don't see this going further than five games. And I, I think if I had to bet right now, it's probably a sweep. Yeah, that's, that's what it looks like to me. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get to... The other game from last night, a significantly more fun game, Warriors-Kings. Both game one and game two of this series have been extremely, extremely fun. And, you know, the, the thing that struck me watching this game start to finish last night, Alex, was 
like the Warriors are the Warriors. They're still playing Warriors basketball. It's just like I'm, I'm kind of still stuck in like the trauma that I suffered when they had Kevin Durant. Like you're always just waiting. It's like, wait, they have one more guy, right? It's like, oh, well, they're going to sub KD and then they'll be fine. And I don't know, man, like we, we, we saw them win the title without him last year, basically with this team. I, I get that. They, they have a higher ceiling than they've shown this season, but uh, it, it's been a little bit jarring for you know, the Warriors to, to make these runs and then just kind of run out of gas. Like right when you think they're going to take control of the games, like, all right, Clay Thompson hits back-to-back threes early in the fourth quarter. And you're thinking, okay, here we go. Here we go. Or even, you know, when the game is going the other way and the Kings, you know, go on a mini run and all of a sudden they're up seven and you, know, you see Clay Thompson, you know, kind of nodding, he's clapping at the crowd and you're thinking, okay, that's, that's the Warriors quiet confidence. You know, they, they know that they're not out of this game. They'll make their run. This is two straight games now where, we're used to the Warriors storming back and winning these games. And it's kind of jarring that it hasn't happened. Yeah, they've, um, I mean, I game one felt closer to me, um, but the Warriors, man, their turnovers are a problem. They had Oof. horrible turnovers in the first quarter. Like they cleaned it up, but they still ended up with 20 turnovers. They, they had like and, hockey breakaway turnovers that were just leading yeah. to wide open dunks. It was bad. And another thing too is, they, I, I don't think they've attacked Demonis Sabonis enough um, at the no. rim, but they don't really have the guys to do it aside from Wiggins, I would say. And even Kaminga, I, I would like to even see, I mean, Kaminga, did he, yeah, he played four minutes. Um, yeah. But you barely. need, you need to put pressure on Sabonis at the rim. Like there are plenty of games this season where you'd watch and a team's, you know, the team, the other team's athletes would just go at Sabonis and just, just jump over him because they know he couldn't do it but um the Warriors don't have those guys and so they just end up shooting a ton of threes which the the Kings are defending okay yeah I mean for one I I think something that stuck out to me positively for the Kings is Davion Mitchell gave Steph Curry a lot of trouble in this game I mean that was again kind of jarring to see Steph Curry not really be able to get by him time and time again. Like, I mean, Davion Mitchell is, is thick. He's low to the ground step. I mean, Curry, I, I think to his credit, tried to get to the rim, especially in the second half when uh, you know, I thought the Kings did a good job of, of kind of running him off the three point line. And you're so used to, to Steph. Like he kind of, he always puts his head down, does that hard high dribble. And then usually could find a way to, to kind of snake around a defender and get to the yeah. rim. And I mean, there were a couple of times where he had to back up, try again, back up, try again, and then just kind of frustratedly pass the ball and, and relocate. Uh, so, I mean, Davion Mitchell, like that was, that was as good of a single game, uh, kind of individual defending job as I've seen on Curry in a while. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it ties into Keegan Murray, not playing that much. Uh, what's Keegan Murray played like 30 total minutes in the first two games. I think this is just, it's not as much about Murray as it is about how much Davion Mitchell impacts um, Steph Curry and um, other guards. who he happens to get, sw- sw- you know, if he gets switched on to Jordan Poole, it's the same thing. Uh, Poole didn't play that well, but um, yeah, I just, I, I'm not, I, I thought the Warriors were going to win this series. Maybe in, I, I think about in six games, I, I would have said at the beginning. And mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, I just don't, I think fundamentally you cannot be taking, I think they have 90 combined three point attempts in the first two games yep. against a team that just does not have a guy protecting the rim. Like you have to, you have to get to the basket and you cannot turn the ball over like they have been. I completely agree. And I, I think if, if we're saying it, they know it, right? I mean, they, right. they have to know. I mean, the, Sabonis is a great player. He's not a great defender. He's not a rim protector really at all. Um, you know, they, they, we have seen some Alex Len 
a, a couple He's times. A he played eight minutes in, in game two. He played in game one as well. He had a block in both games. So I, I think they have done a good job of kind of sneaking in there uh, strategically and, and really not leaving themselves too overexposed when Sabonis is on the bench. Um, you know, Lens basically kind of match minutes with Sabonis being out of the game. But like, do the Warriors have the personnel to correct this? Uh, like, obviously, Steph Curry, you would think as the series goes along, should be able to do a better job getting to the rim. But that's not really who Clay Thompson is. Um, you, know, you mentioned it with Wiggins, who I, I think, given the circumstances, has actually played really well these first two games. I, I thought he'd be a lot more rusty. Like, I, I, you know, you mentioned like maybe you give Kaminga a shot. Yeah, you know, I think Jordan Poole, to his credit, <laughs> attempted to get to the rim a few times last night. Had like a comical, like spinning kind of like reverse Euro step layup that did not make, make contact with the rim. I, I think more than anything, the Warriors need to get Jordan Poole going, right? Like when, when I said it, it felt like they're like a man short or they, they, they kind of need one more star on this team to, to reach that Warriors level that we're accustomed to. Uh, I think Jordan Poole just being a complete non-factor, if not a net negative so far in the series is something that's really hurt them. And by the way, you mentioned the drives trying to get to the rim. Um, you know, we're dealing with a small sample size here, you know, for some of these teams, they've only played once, but uh, the Kings are averaging 54 drives to the rim per game through the first two games. The Warriors are averaging 30, which is last among any team in the playoffs. That is not surprising. Um, that's a great stat. I mean, pool pool's pretty hurt though, right? It sounded like his ankle was bad, but he, he gave it a shot, but that's, that's still going to be a problem for them. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think Wiggins is huge for the series. He was a guy I identified. I, I was messaging you on Slack. I think it was before mm-hmm. game one. Also, they didn't have Wiggins points props. And I remember watching, uh, you know, these teams actually played like three regular season games that mattered against each other, where basically everyone was healthy, including Wiggins, because they played them early in the year. Wiggins dominated the series. He was like 25 points a game on 60% shooting. He was huge for the Warriors against the Kings. And I think he needs to continue to be. Um, They need to find uh, ways to get him going to the basket more. Um, He wasn't super efficient in this one, but still ended up with 22 points on 19 shots. They just, they, they might need more from him, honestly. So these things move quickly. Uh, you know, it, it feels like the sky is falling right now. It feels like the you know the Warriors are going to lose this game in four. I, I don't think that's going to happen. They're going back home. They're, they'll get at least one, you would think, in San Francisco. And it does not sound like Draymond Green is going to be suspended for what oh, I yeah. thought was like to me. This was like worse than what he did in in the finals. You know, when when like you know the the nut tap, which right. I don't even like, it wasn't even that obvious. Like it, 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 I think that's what he was going for, but to me it was more like he was just kind of extending his arm and it happened to contact LeBron. Like this to me was much more blatant. Uh, you know, I think it helped that Sabonis, <laughs> I don't know if he over-exaggerated it or he thought he was more hurt, but like at first I'm like, Oh, he must've just snapped all of Sabonis's ribs because he's right. shouting and writhing in pain. I mean, he was down for five, 10 minutes. Meanwhile, Draymond is like parading around the arena, uh, like hyping up the crowd, getting in people's faces. Like I, I thought the combination of the act, plus what Draymond did after plus Adam silver being in attendance might result <laughs> right. in a suspension, but apparently not like just before we hopped on here, Shab Sharania of the athletic tweeted that a suspension is not expected for Draymond green. So one, you could give your, your opinion on what happened there Two, Does that make you consider taking the warriors on the series price here, which to be honest, is not that much of a bargain for a team down. Oh, two, they're, they're still plus plus one thirty-five to win the series. I, I mean, so Sabonis so grabbed him, obviously, but yes, he was provoked. Still, yeah, I, it it was provoked, but that was he really stopped at him. I've never, like never seen anything like that, um, and, and pretty shocking that he wasn't suspended. Given that, like, it's he's got his technical situation. I just, yeah, I I don't know. I feel like 
it's it's weird because I on one hand I feel like if another player did it they would be suspended, but for I I don't know I, I'm sure. Oh, I completely um, completely agree, and yet somehow like somehow Draymond's reputation is like helping him here. Right. I guess. I don't know. It's like you would think like he had, he's done stuff adjacent to this like 10 times by now, but for whatever reason, it's like, he's just kind of like, Oh man, that's just Draymond. That's just what he does. If Alex Len did that, he'd be suspended. <laughs> yes. The NBA regular season has come and gone, which means it's time for a new way to play daily fantasy basketball for the playoffs. Rival fantasy is the fantasy platform reinventing the way daily and weekly games are played. And they've brought three new games to the ballpark this year that fantasy players won't find anywhere else. With unique games like Fantasy Bingo, head-to-head player challenges, and over-unders in Fantasy Book, Daily Fantasy has never been better. Right now, Rotowire listeners can get a $50 protected first play. That means if you win your first play, you keep your winnings. But if you lose your first entry, Rival Fantasy will fully refund you up to 50 bucks. Go to play.rivalfantasy.com slash signup. Again, that's play.rivalfantasy.com slash sign up and use our code ROTOWIRENBA, all one word, ROTOWIRENBA. Use that at sign up and deposit a minimum of $25 to get your first entry on Rival protected up to $50. Now's the time to step onto the court and become a Rival today. Welcome to the arena. But to answer your question on the on the series price, no, I I don't I don't think I would take the um, the series price at this point. For the for the Warriors, I just I was I was ready to I thought they were I thought they were going to win the series, and I just have not. I think you know I think they can make it close still, but I really just have seen I, I just have not seen anything from them that makes me think that they're going to win four you know like four games after this. I I'm not convinced that they won't win the series. I just I just don't think I would bet it at that number. I think that's like terrible value for a team that hasn't looked very good and is down Oh two. I, you know, it's like, that almost feels like that would be like one price. Um, you know, and I, I get that they're heading home for these next two games, but even if they win, even if they win both, it's like, you, you haven't proven that you've been, a, that you can win in Sacramento. You've been a terrible road team all year. Um, and you've, you know, you, you just dropped a game two where you were favored. So I, I, I don't know what, like the, you know, what the, what the mid series chess piece is that, you know, kind of, flips the switch in favor of golden state. Like, I, I don't know. Can they get Jordan pool going? Is that ankle something that's going to bother him throughout the series? I, it, to me, it, it doesn't feel like Sacramento has caught some like crazy breaks through games one and two. And again, I, I don't, I'm not saying I expect the Kings to win the series in five games. I, I think we go six or seven. I think the warriors do figure it out, but uh, like these have not felt like any sort of fluky wins for the Kings. You know, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, M- Milwaukee dropping game one where Giannis plays 10 minutes. Right. And the, you know, it's not like the Kings are getting especially hot from three or some amazing no. shooting. Like Sabonis is shooting 45%. Herder's 14% from three. He's two for 14. Harrison Barnes, one for seven from three. And then you got Clay, Clay shooting 42%. Curry, obviously, he's low at 33%, but it's still pretty good. Um, you know, and we talked about how Wiggins has been impactful in this series. He's he's a little cold from three, but I they're losing they're losing the possession game by a ton and they're just not making up for it with efficiency. I mean, they're getting killed on turnovers and they're getting killed on the offensive class. Like, you know, through the two games, Sacramento has 29 offensive rebounds to Golden State's 18. So just the the story through the series so far has just been uh, the Kings just get more shots every game. And if that's going to continue to happen, like 
you you can't give the Kings more shots because they're one of the best offenses in the NBA. If you give them more shots than you, they're going to win a lot of those games. Yeah, comes back to turnovers for Golden State. Um, so you know, if you had to make a prediction right now, how does this series finish? Who wins number of games? Um, I I think I would go Kings. I mean, I'll go Kings in seven because I I still picked the like I initially picked the Warriors to win the series. I don't think they're pushovers. But and obviously they're they're way better at home. Like if they win the next two games, I I wouldn't be shocked. Um, but yeah, it's either six or seven for me for the Kings. How about you? Uh, it's like if it gets to seven, I know that game's in Sacramento, and we think it's been crazy these last two games. I mean that that would be like arguably the the greatest crowd in NBA history. Um, but do the Warriors lose that game? Look, I'll say Warriors in seven. I, I think I would okay. say I think they get their revenge. I think they even it up. If Draymond's not suspended, I think they win game three, they win game four, they alternate the last two, and then the Warriors go in and, and find a way to win a very, very close game seven at Sacramento. But uh, either way, I, I think, you know, this will be a good transition to talk about the Warriors and the or the Lakers, excuse me, and the Grizzlies. Uh, yeah, I, I think if you're certainly the Lakers or even Memphis and you, you feel okay about your chances to get back into this series, um, you know, Sacramento's look good. I, I don't think either of these teams are deathly afraid of the Kings. Um, and, and with, with Golden State looking shaky, I, I think it's it's kind of easy to already start projecting out like, okay, we, we'll have a pretty good runway here, uh, you know, avoiding Phoenix, avoiding Denver, if we can get through this first round series. And I, I think it's going to come down to John Morant. Is it is it fair to say it's that simple? If John Morant is out or limited, the Grizzlies just don't really have a great chance to win this. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Tyus Jones is good, and they had a they have a pretty good record. I mean, they've had a good record the past two seasons when um, when Morant's been out. But I I just think that creates such a talent deficit for them because their bench is already extremely shaky. Um, we saw a lot of uh, Santi Aldama in game one. It, w- it was shaky before the Steven Adams and Brandon Clark injuries. And now you add John Morant to the mix and it's, it's a little too thin. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not convinced that let, let's say Morant sits tomorrow night. And as of right now, it sounds like he'll be a game time call. They, they don't think there's anything structural, but I, I mean, as you could tell when he left the game, I mean, he, he knows there's something up with that wrist. And I, I think that's, about as difficult of an injury as it gets to play through, you know, an, an injury on your dominant wrist as a basketball player. So I, as of right now, I, I think maybe he gives it a shot. I don't think he's going to be anything close to a hundred percent in game two. And if the, if the Lakers win that one, this could get out of hand pretty quickly. But, you know, we, we talked about with Sacramento, like not getting any of these like anomaly performances and yeah, I know Malik Monk went off in game one, but that's kind of, that's kind of who he is. Like, it's not crazy that Malik Monk put up 32 points. The Lakers, Rui Hachimura, that, that was a crazy game one. That's not happening again. Uh, you know, they, they got contributions from, from a bunch of guys, you know, Austin Reeves. I think that's a little bit more sustainable. Uh, but, but even like Troy Brown played well for them. He had a three, thought Dennis Schroeder gave them some decent minutes. Uh, D'Angelo Russell had his best game, uh, over the last handful. He was really bad in the play in tournament and to end the year. Um, so, you know, even though you didn't get a fantastic effort from LeBron or, or the greatest effort from AD on offense, like I, I, I do worry that maybe we jumped on this Lakers team like a, a little too much after that game one win, which by the way, was a very, very close game until I wouldn't say the Grizzlies gave up, but they, they started playing reckless at the end, trying to go for steals. And the Lakers were just like piling on wide open dunk after wide open dunk. So it looks like a blowout, but I didn't feel like it was a blowout watching this game. Right. And I think, I mean, it reminded me a little bit of when Giannis got hurt, the whole vibe changed in the building, Yep, you know, after, after Morant went down and, 
that's that's really hard to recover from as a basketball team when you see your best player go down like that. Um, so it's it's not surprising that things kind of got out of whack towards the end. Uh, but you're right. I mean, they got some outlier performances from guys. On the other hand, you could probably expect LeBron and AD to combine for more than, you know, 43 points in the next game. Um, especially AD, who they just don't... I mean, they can try Jaron Jackson Jr. on him, but he's a foul machine, right? So, that you know, that that's that could actually end up having mixed results. Yeah. AD was a plus 27 in game one, by the way. I mean, he was... Uh, defensively, that was, that was like one of the, the five best AD games I think I've ever seen on defense. I mean, really from the jump, he, he was bringing the energy, which is not always a guarantee with him. Um, yeah, on the Memphis side, I, I thought they got close to a best case scenario game from Jaron Jackson. Uh, you know, that, that's maybe a little worrisome because he's just not somebody that you could say, all right, go give us 31, five and five with two blocks every night. Um, so I I think there's maybe a little bit of regression there. Uh, but you know, Dylan Brooks was two of nine from three Desmond Bain was three of 10. They didn't really get a whole lot from their bench. Luke Kennard was one of four. So I, you know, even if you can't expect that kind of game from Jackson offensively and, he bullied LeBron James a couple times, by the way, which he you, did. even for bigger guys, you don't see that too often. Um, you know, I think that there could maybe be some progression from that bench. If Morant's out, like you said, you have Tyus Jones. He's been good for them. They, they won 20 games without Morant last year. So maybe that's not that big of a concern. But if you start having to dip into like, oh, John Conchar is playing 18 minutes or Luke Kennard's playing 32 minutes or, you know, Zaire Williams is back in the rotation. Like that, that's not ideal for Memphis. It's not, no. Um you know, it turns it, it changed the the vibe of their team a little bit. Um, you know, they're a little less turnover prone, um, a little better defensively when Jones is in there. But obviously, you know, they just lack the explosive, the explosive mm-hmm. athlete at that point. Um, yeah. And like, I mean, you mentioned Brooks going two for nine. I mean, that may as well be his middle name. Um, I I just <laughs> and I you know Bain can step up and but other than that, I mean, you mentioned it. It's like I Canard can hit some threes. It's just I, if if Morant's not there, it's going to be they're, they're going to need twenty shots every night out of Jaron Jackson. Yeah, and maybe they're, they're going to need a, a big Desmond Bain game at some point. I think. Oh, yeah. Morant's not out there. They need like a thirty-five point Desmond Bain game for yeah. sure. And yeah. you know, I mean, maybe Morant does play. I think Morant's the type of guy who this is a bit of a weird comparison, but I think he can kind of do the Westbrook thing um, from the Clippers Suns game where he's just out there flying in for offensive rebounds and playing hustle on defense and just yeah. like trying to dunk everything, like basically taking no jump shots, just going up for like lefty sure. layups and, and all this stuff. Like, I think he could actually be effective like that, but it's just, I, I, you know, what do you even, I, I don't even know how to analyze that. Yeah. I, I, there is something to him energy wise, you know, that I, I think even if he's out there in a limited capacity, that's probably better than not having him out there. Uh, whereas there are some guys where it's like, if you're limited, you the team might be better off without you, but they're, you're, you're totally right. Like once he left the game, you kind of knew he wasn't coming back. And it was very similar to Giannis where it was just deflated. Like the crowd wasn't the same. Uh, the shot selection wasn't the same. They were pressing immediately. Uh, so I, I think if they can, <clears throat> excuse me, if they can get him back in any capacity for Wednesday night, that'd be great. I, I just worry, you know, if it, there's really nothing you could do to protect it. Right. It's like, you can't, you can't play with like a hard brace on your dominant wrist. You're not gonna be able to dribble the ball. You're not gonna be able to really catch the ball, do anything. So it's it, it just, it's at, an extremely high risk of re-injury if he goes out there. Yeah. What they diagnosed it with a soft tissue bruise. Um, Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I've. It's a re-aggravation of a previous injury that he had. So I think, I think that's part of it too. Yeah. It says soft tissue bruise after re-aggravating his previous right hand bruise. So it's, it's double bruised. Um, 
But yeah, that's tough. Every time you catch a ball, you're going to be in pain. I mean, some of it too is I think, you know, the adrenaline is going to help if he actually ends up playing yeah. and, and all that stuff. And, you know, a lot of these guys like are super, like not everyone, but Moran's someone who could use his left hand. He's, he's a talented, like ambidextrous mm-hmm. guy. It's, it's not, um, it's not, it's not that much of an issue, but I don't know. At the, on the other hand, maybe it gives the, maybe it gives the team energy if he goes out there and he, he plays this like yeah. all pure hustle game. But I would just worry about him giving it up defensively because that's where Tyus Jones has the advantage is Tyus Jones is mm-hmm. a very good defender. And if you're not getting that much on offense for Morant anyway, yeah, I don't know. So I, I don't want to talk Celtics, Hawks, or Cavs, Knicks, because by the time you hear this pod, those games will essentially have started Tuesday night. So we'll cover them later this week. Um, we do have Suns Clippers in the late window tonight. Um, we could talk about that one briefly. I mean, again, this, this pod might be expired uh, by the time you listen to that one, but amazing game one. Uh, yet yeah. again, a reminder that Kawhi Leonard at his best is absolutely a top five player in the NBA. Uh, you know, saw a stat this morning that he's now scored, at, I think, more than 30 points in like 27 of 49 career playoff games. I mean, he has been rock solid his entire career. And you also remember that a bunch of those came with the Spurs when he was a role player early on. So it's been a, a certainly a higher percentage of 30 point games since he's become the Kawhi Leonard that we know. Uh, this was an interesting one, though, because even with Phoenix looking really shaky in round one, maybe even with the Clippers having arguably the best player in the series, Suns are still holding firm. The market has not backed off the Suns. They're minus 195 to win the series. Yeah, I mean, I, I Kawhi had an amazing game, 13 for 24 for 38 points. Um, but towards the end of that game, there was that possession or a couple of possessions where Durant was basically denying Kawhi the ball and it completely, it completely messed up LA's offense. And I just think they're going to, I, th- I think they're going to be more aggressive Phoenix's in, in denying Leonard the ball, because if Kawhi, if, if just, you can't, if Kawhi doesn't have the ball, then they're, you know, the Clippers are relying on more shots from Russell Westbrook, who went three for 19. Although I thought he was actually, he was, in my opinion, he was mostly a positive because his defensive energy was insane. And he was on the offensive glass like crazy, but you're, you know, you're turning Powell and Gordon and man into playmakers. And if you're, if you're Phoenix, that's what you want. So I think they're going to adjust. And um, I don't think you need to go into panic mode for anything about Phoenix. I don't think so either. I, I think this of all the, of all the game ones, this was probably the biggest overreaction that I saw. Um, you know, especially if Paul George isn't coming back in the series, I, I think we'll maybe look back and, and, not maybe not say this was an anomaly game because I thought the Clippers played well and, and Kawhi is that guy. Uh, but I, I, I think over the course of, you know, five, six, seven games, whatever it ends up going, um, you know, we're going to be reminded pretty quickly that, you know, the sun's top four is better than anybody else's top four in the West. And, you know, they, they, they have their issues with the bench. I, I think that's something that is going to be addressed at, at some point. I mean, you can't necessarily get away. Like they, they basically played six guys this entire game. You know, they, they mixed in some Ish Wainwright, some Akogi, some Biz Bayambo, some Jock they Landale. Tried. You know, we, we saw like a disastrous Terrence Ross stretch for a couple <laughs> of minutes, but, um, you know, like they, they really only trust six guys. And one of them is Landry Shamit, and another one is Tory Craig. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's the price you pay when you, you do a, you know, two or three for one trade like they did with Kevin Durant. But I, I think we see a more aggressive Kevin Durant overall. You know, he got to the line 10 times, but, but only took 15 field goals. Uh, was deferring to Devin Booker uh, down the stretch. I don't know that we necessarily see that again. And, you know, one of the other narratives that's emerged from that that game one is the Suns only took 19 threes. Uh, I, I think that number yeah. has to go up. 
Yeah, and I, I went back and I watched this game and I counted only four open threes for them and three of them were Torrey Craig. Um, Torrey oh. Craig scored 22 points on, on 12 shots. His actual, his, I mean, his, his points prop for tonight's like eight and a half, which actually I like the over because, you know, the Clippers game plan is not going to be stop Torrey Craig from scoring nine points. Um, and he's going to be, he's going to be open all the time. He was open all game. He, he had open mid-rangers. He had an open layup, yeah. open threes. Um, but yeah, Durant, Durant didn't get that many open looks. Aiden, Aiden was firing away from mid-range, man. Like they were giving it to him. The Clippers were giving it to him and he was taking it like 15 footer. He took like six of those. Yeah, I mean that's what they do, right? I mean they they have you know two of what the five, maybe three of the five best mid range shooters in the league on the same team, yeah. plus DeAndre Ayton, who, as far as uh, you know, kind of borderline elite level big man go, is is very comfortable in that range. Uh, I, I think against the Clippers, they'll be able to get away with that, but you know, it's not like the Clippers even shot the three well. Like they were ten of thirty one. You know, it wasn't this crazy shooting game for the Clippers, but. Uh, you know, you end up plus 12 from beyond the arc because the other team's only taking 19. And, you know, it's not like the Suns are averaging 20 a game either. Like they, they're, they're more closer to the league average on the year. So this, this was just a, an overall lower attempt game for them. Uh, they didn't really have a, a ton of turnovers though, which was weird. I, I kind of expected them to, to have like 19 turnovers and, and that would explain it. But uh, either way, I, I think they get back into the series. I, I think they, they probably win game two at home. And, you know, we, we, we watched this away pretty quickly. I am, I am fascinated to see where the rest of the series goes for Russ though, because right. I, I think he officially entered sickle mode after game yeah. one. And I, I, I think there's going to be a carryover there. Like, I'm not sure it's great for the Clippers that everybody came out of that game, praising three of 19 Russell Westbrook. He only had two turnovers. He had five offensive rebounds and some really clutch yeah. ones. Um, that block on that block on Booker at the end of the game and threw it off of him. That's one of the best mm-hmm. defensive players you'll ever see in basketball. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I don't, I don't want to say like he'll definitely be less aggressive offensively because he's Westbrook, but I think there, there probably are situations where Luke can go to him and say, okay, you don't need to take this shot. Like just kick it back out or look for a guy to kind of hand it off to, um, and, you know, get more shots for, mm-hmm. for more efficient guys like Gordon. And, um, I thought Plumlee played really well in this game, but yeah, yeah. The Clippers, I mean, they just can't, you know, Aiden has to do a better job on the on the boards. Like they got, they, they the Suns got crushed on the offensive glass. Fifteen yep. offensive rebounds for LA. Like you cannot let that happen if you're if you're DeAndre Aiden. Yeah, well, a few of those, like you mentioned, happened late. I mean, Westbrook had the the big one, the block, and the the deflection off of Booker. He he had like another like actual offensive rebound that he secured for an extra possession late, and then a, another one where he came flying in and knocked it off of a defender to create a you know shortened possession for the Clippers. So you got to tip your cap at times. Look, I I'm, I'm glad he's not on the Lakers. <laughs> I've been pretty, uh, pretty hard line in that stance, but uh, you know, this is why teams are still interested in rust because even when he goes three of 19, he could kind of come away feeling like the hero of this series. But you, know, you mentioned like wanting him to defer more. They just don't have that many options without PG, no. right? It's like, okay, we, we'd prefer that you funnel these shots to Kawhi, but beyond that, it's like, it, it's, it's a tough sell to look at Russell Westbrook and be like, Hey, you need, you need to get Terrence Mann more involved. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, I mean, Powell was good in this game and Gorgon was good in those game, this game. I think those are the guys you turn to, um, you know, maybe you can try to get a little more like pick and roll stuff with Zubac. And I thought Plumlee was good. I thought Plumlee and I thought Landale's eight minutes were, were good. It's kind of apropos of nothing, yeah. but I thought he, he looked nice. Um, yeah. I'm interested yeah, to see how they handle that bench. You know, you had what five guys play between four and seven minutes. Yeah. It, it seemed like, 
Monty Williams didn't know exactly what he wanted to do. And uh, that may, I mean, honestly, that just may lead to more minutes for Tory Craig, who played only, who played 27. But yeah, I don't know. Cause all these, like, I, I actually wasn't that concerned about Phoenix's bench because I thought they were versatile. Like Wayne Wright's this huge, big body guy. You know, you can't drive through him. Um, Okogie and Craig are like three and D guys. Ross can get hot. Um, you know, Biombo and Landale do different things, but it just, none of them really inspire confidence at all, obviously. Ish Wainwright is kind of a hoss. He's kind of in that David Roddy mold. He is. Well, I think they said he played D1 football on the broadcast. Um, That he was the only D1 football player in the NBA right now. It looks like yeah, I, I will look into that. I assume that's okay. correct. Uh, he looks like he'd play football, so we'll 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 take the announcers at their word. Um, all right, let's get to. I mean, do you have anything from Denver, Minnesota, or are, are we just done with the Wolves? Uh, did Anthony Edwards even break a sweat during that game? He was. I, it's so weird. So weird. He's not somebody that I would have worried about, like not showing up in games like this. I know. Um, it is confirmed. Wayne Wright. Um play tight end for Baylor. Okay. Uh, Solid program. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. A- Anthony Edwards, I didn't seem like he broke a sweat. Turnovers were crazy. Um, Jokic was putting on an absolute clinic, like embarrassing, um, em- embarrassing stuff to, to Minnesota. They just, they looked awful. They did. They did. And, you know, Denver looked great too. I think they deserve, they deserve yeah, credit. I mean, they were super physical. They were moving the ball around. They were rebounding. Uh, I mean, this game, it, it was relatively close early on. I think it was what, like a 10 or 11 point game at the half. Like it wasn't, it wasn't laughable. I mean, Denver was in control. And then the third quarter, uh, things just completely unraveled for Minnesota. Um, you know, we had that Kyle Anderson getting into it with Christian Brown uh, of all people. Uh, yeah, he... you know, that, that rivalry renewed. Kyle Anderson, well, I, it was funny because I think it was – I can't remember if that happened to the third or the fourth, but um, I was i was actually – before that happened, I was about to tweet, Ty, Kyle Anderson looks like he's about to snap. Um, and I didn't end up tweeting it because I was like, who actually cares? But um, <laughs> he was he was so mad at his teammates. Like, there were so many possessions where, especially on defense, you know, they would score and Kyle Anderson is, like, looking at everybody like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, what, yeah. like, what is going on right now? Like, he was – I'm not surprised you got into it, and you know him and him and Brown kind of like made up afterwards. I think I think Brown kind of understood a slow mo was just like <laughs> in a bad place. <laughs> yeah, you pro- you probably should have hit me. That's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, really impressive by the Nuggets. I think I'm more so like down on the Timberwolves. Like I I don't think this yes. was it was it was not like a major statement game. I guess by Denver, it just felt like they they ran into a team that was not prepared to offer any resistance, but, uh, you know, MPJ played really well. Jokic was Jokic just didn't even really have to do all that much. Uh, pretty solid game for, for Murray. Uh, Aaron Gordon had that, that one play where he went full speed, like extended his arm out. Like one of the more blatant pushes off that you're ever going to see and just kept going for a dunk. And I like everybody kind of paused, like, wait, how is this not a charge except for Aaron Gordon who just kept bullying his way, uh, to the hole. So, I mean, best possible start if you're Denver, right? Because they, they, we're pretty shaky down the stretch, especially those last couple of weeks. Jokic is in and out, you know, they're resting guys. Everybody's kind of starting to catch on that. They have no bench whatsoever. Uh, But I I think this is exactly how you want to start the series. If you're a one seed. It is man. Jokic was on complete autopilot. Um, 
the the towns go bit like it felt like towns was trying to force it into go bear like they were running these like weird two-man big actions in the paint that just they were they were bad towns with four turnovers yeah. and um i don't even obviously i don't even remember anthony edwards shooting 15 times um no he, i just forgot he was on the floor a lot it felt a lot like those some of those andrew wiggins years yeah, I mean, even even in the Lakers playing game, he was, at least he was aggressive. I mean, he was missing everything, but he took a ton of shots. I and mean, a lot of those were jumpers, and it felt like it was kind of too little too late by the time he decided to attack. But yeah, it's been weird with him. I would I would not be surprised if we if it's revealed that there's a larger injury at some point, um, because this is just not really the guy that he's proven to be early in his career. But at the same time, things are kind of unraveling here for the Wolves. I mean, Gobert was yeah. a minus 28. Minus 28. Like, the rest of the starters were at least keeping them competitive. I mean... I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Anthony Edwards is just like looking ahead and realizing like, this is my life now. He might be, I mean, he might, he already might be checked out. Um, <laughs> like I, I wouldn't blame him for it, but I, I, at the same time, I do think he is playing hurt. Like it seemed yeah. like, I mean, you and I are, are tapped into the injury reports. There were so many injury reports this season where it was like, he was limited at practice or he was questionable for a bunch of these games in a row. It, it seemed like he was really reluctant to sit out games and, he was dealing with multiple injuries at some point. He got, I mean, the whole team caught an illness right before the end of the season. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if he's, if he's playing a little hurt, um, which I feel like is tipped off by the fact that he's decided to start wearing like a large t-shirt under his Jersey yes. um, and cut one yes. of the sleeves off. Yes. Great observation by you. We, we've seen Curry <laughs> do the same thing. Uh, yeah, right. You don't, you don't just do that for no reason. He was, he was not a t-shirt guy in college. I don't believe. Um, all right. This, this leaves us with one series bucks heat. What is your level of concern? level of concern so it was gonna be relatively high like i i was getting flashbacks watching early in this game before Giannis even got hurt because um the the heat started struce on lopez and the bucks were like oh okay we'll put lopez in the corner yep what are you kidding like i just i i do not under and bud did this but did this last year, they were putting Marcus Smart on Lopez and they were just, they were not posting up Lopez. Lopez is not Hakeem Olajuwon, but he can hit a jump hook. He gets fouled. He's a good free throw shooter. I have absolutely no idea why they allowed Struess to just hide on Lopez all game. To me, that's crazy. That's classic Budenholzer. Um, other than that, I, as far as Giannis goes, I mean, that injury, he was in a lot of pain. And he was kind of struggling walking. Obviously, couldn't end up coming to the coming back into the game, but it seems like he'll be fine. Um, I think I would imagine the Bucks tighten up a little bit in Game Two, but I'm definitely more concerned than I was <laughs> before the series, especially because Miami didn't uh, Miami didn't exactly like cruise into into the series into the eighth seed. I, I think lost in all this is Miami being without Tyler hero going forward. Like that's huge. Well, that's yes. huge as well. Like I, I think that buys the bucks uh, a, a lot of wiggle room here. I think they, you know, like, I, I think they, they don't necessarily have to be on their, their a game, the rest of the series, uh, assuming that, you know, Jimmy Butler is not putting up 35, 11, five and three every game. And, you know, Bam Adebayo came alive after a few bad games. So I, I, I do think they'll make some adjustments, but yeah, we, we've seen this team. They refuse to make in-game adjustments, you know, sometimes game to game right. series to series. We'll see it. But uh, yeah, Lopez was just a complete non-factor in this game. It was, was okay on defense. He had three blocks, but really didn't feel quite as impactful as he typically is. And the moment that Giannis, you know, it, it, so it was kind of a weird situation, right? If you didn't watch the game, he 
first it looks like he's dead. And then he gets up and stays in the game. And then a couple minutes later, goes out. But then he comes back. And then a couple minutes later, in. Um, and to me, he looked fine when he was out there. Like he, he had a couple big, like big drives to the hoop. He's absorbing contact. He's hitting free throws, whatever. Um, and then once he went out that last time, you know, you could feel the air go out of the building. Um, I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter, like scolding the arena, be like, the fans let us down today. They, you weren't loud enough, uh, which, but you know, it's a Sunday afternoon game, but it was, it was not a rowdy arena by any means. So I guess, I guess the bucks have now reached that stage where, you know, they, they've had so much success that we could complain about the fans not being loud enough. Um, to me, though, the issue was they, they missed so many open threes, wide open threes, especially in that first half. Uh, Jay Crowder, 0 for 4. Bobby Portis, 0 for 5. Javon Carter, 0 for 2. Brooke Lopez, 0 for 3. Drew Holiday, 2 for 9. Uh, Middleton, 2 for 7. I mean, they were just horrific from three. So I, to me, the sky's not falling here. I think it, you know, the fact that Giannis is likely playing on Wednesday, did not practice Tuesday, but they're, they're optimistic. Um, you know, Obviously, this would be a completely different story if, if he was like ruled out for multiple games here, but I think the combination of him coming back plus some shooting regression, I, I think Milwaukee will be just fine. If, if they had hit like two more three pointers at any point during this game, uh, I, I feel like they would have had a little more steam, but they, they, they were just, they were down between like eight and 12 points the entire game. And that's just a really tough way to play. They were, um, and yeah, they, they were 11 of 45 from three, 24% Miami on fire, 15 for 25, 60%. Um, you know, so yeah, I think I think some regression. You mentioned it with the Agadakumbo and and Hero respective injury situations. Buck should Buck should be able to close this one out relatively easily. Um, and yeah, with the youngest thing, it seems like maybe it's just pain tolerance. I mean, tailbone yeah. injuries are tough. Like tailbone and hamstring injuries in the NBA, those ones oh, yeah. are they they come back. Like some of it's pain tolerance. It's it they're they're tough, obviously. I think just about everybody has had a bruised tailbone at some point, you know, whether you like fell on ice as a kid or like yes. sledding or you, you know, you know, like me, if you, if you were like doing like a between the legs windmill dunk and you, you kind of like <laughs> fell on the rim weird. Um, like it, it definitely hurts. Like I don't, I'm, I don't think anybody's faulting Giannis or questioning Giannis, but it's also one of those things that you're not, you're not really worried about it getting injured more. Like I, the only thing that could really harm it is if he suffered a similar fall, which given the way he plays is, is technically possible, but yeah, I, I think I think like Morant, and you know, the NBA has ways to uh, you know kind of get players through these situations. Not saying anything illegal, but you know, you can <laughs> get cortisone shots, things of that nature. Like, yeah, uh, you know, if, if if Giannis needs to be ready, he's going to be ready. I guess is the point I'm trying to make. I'm with you. All right, last question. G- given what's happened over the last few days, we now have the Celtics as favorites to win the East as, and favorites to win the title. Uh, that uh, distinction, of course, belonged to the Bucks heading into last weekend. Should that have changed? It feels a little reactionary, but you know we also don't know if Giannis is playing game two. Are, are you okay now saying that the Celtics are the favorites to win the title? I don't. I don't think it should have changed at all. I don't like the Giannis. Is, it seems like he's fine. They should be able to win the series even if he didn't play. I would think you, we mentioned yeah. the hero situation. Um, so no, I don't. I don't. I don't know why that would have changed. Like Boston looked great in game one, but yeah. You know, Atlanta isn't isn't uh, that formidable of opponent. They also missed a ton of wide open threes. Atlanta did so. Um, no, I. What do you think? Do you think it should have changed? Look, I, I get it. If you want to say the odds makers are, are just making a slight adjustment here to account for the the possibility uh, that this is more severe and, and Giannis could end up missing more time. But for one, I agree with you. I, I think they could probably win this series without Giannis, especially with, without Tyler Hero. And the other side of this, when you're looking at Eastern conference finals odds or NBA title odds is 
it's not just about how you're playing in this round. Boston could look great in round one. They could they could win every game by 20 and, and sweep the Hawks. But the Sixers have looked equally good so far, and those teams have to play each other next. So I think you're. I think those odds are not quite factoring in the the second round difficulty, assuming both these teams get through. Yeah, that's a good call. I mean, the the Milwaukee's you know second round opponent is just not going to be um, as formidable. So that's that's another reason to think that they won't uh, that they, the odds shouldn't have shifted. Especially because right, get out of here. Or, sorry, oh, I was, no, no, my final thought just because that Cleveland Knicks game, they're just beating the hell out of each other. So whatever whatever team ends up coming out of that series is just going to be. Like absolutely, I, I they might just be gassed by the time they get to Milwaukee, and then Milwaukee plays super physical as well. Then whoever they get might just break down by the end of the series. All right, man, good stuff. Uh, you and I got to run. Uh, we will be hopping on SiriusXM NBA later tonight. You could hear us there, seven to seven thirty p.m. Eastern, SiriusXM NBA Channel eighty six. We will be there Monday through Friday, uh, every night that there is an NBA game from now until the end of the season. So make sure you check that out. Keep checking out our content over at rotowire.com slash basketball. Uh, and while you're there, you know, we got plenty of NFL draft content. We got plenty of hockey content. Baseball, of course, uh, is in full swing. rotowire.com slash free to go get that trial. Uh, we'll be back later this week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.